Let's get our Bibles out, get ready. We're studying the book of Colossians. And uh, so it's real easy for you to follow along from week to week when we're staying in one book. Hopefully, if you stick with us for a few weeks, you'll have a little crease worn in your Bible. Your Bible just opened to Colossians. That wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Uh, but I hope you're reading your Bible at home. <laughs> I hope you're not just getting it out at church. That would be a mistake because God's got so much to say to you. Uh, but let's open to the book of Colossians. Let's open to chapter one. Part of me wants to stall until the folks that are going downstairs come back up. But... Uh, wouldn't hurt us to dig in. And uh, before we do anything else, let's just invite God to speak to us and to speak through me and to, to, to use your, uh, the eyes and the ears and the, and the heart that he gave you to grasp some things that we need to hear tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is true. Your word is right. Your word is, is, is powerful and alive. Lord, we ask you today that you would speak clearly to us. Lord, we're not here just to learn uh, with our minds. We're not here just to be educated. But Lord, we've come to be transformed by your voice. We've come to draw nearer to you. I pray, Lord, that your word would draw us nearer to your heart, would bring us and usher us into that throne of grace where we can find that throne of mercy, where we can find grace and mercy to help in a time of need. Lord, I pray that you'd open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our heart to understand. Lord, that we would, um, you would give us that spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you, that uh, it'd be more than just saying, well, I learned something. But Lord, we'd walk away saying, God revealed some things to me that are changing me, that are causing me to grow, and that are causing me to break through every obstacle that's been put in the way of what you've called me to. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Colossians chapter one, last week we, we talked about Paul's statement that he was an apostle by the will of God. And uh, what it means to walk in your grace, the grace that's on your life to do what God's called you to do, what it, what it means to walk in the grace that God's given you according to his will. So tonight I believe that I'm, I'm teaching and I'm pastoring through teaching because there's a grace on my life to pastor. Uh, by the will of God. Now that sounds incredibly arrogant to some people. You we, we kind of have this false humility where we're not allowed to say that we're doing anything by the will of God. But if we're not doing it by the will of God, what in the world are we doing? If you're not doing it by the will of God, you shouldn't be doing it. So some of us need, some of you need a little backbone to be able to say, I'm doing this by the will of God. I'm supposed to be doing this. Like Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I, I realize that sometimes takes Guts that you may not think you have. I'm not telling you to be arrogant. I'm not telling you to use that as a way to dominate other people. You know, I've seen that too. I've seen people use that as a way to control the situation. That's not what we're meant to do. But we are meant to live empowered by the grace of God. And, and you know, this, Peter says it very clearly. He says, let the one who's speaking speak as the utterance of God. Speak the, as the oracles of God, as one translation says. Let the one who speaks, speaks as if God is speaking through him. And let the one who serves, serve in the strength that God provides, so that in all things Christ may be glorified through God, God may be glorified through Christ. So there's, there's something to be said for whatever we're doing, it should be done by the will of God and by the power of God. 
So you need to be able to say, I'm doing what I'm doing because God's empowered me to do it. That's what we mean by saying we're doing it by the grace of God. Doing something by the grace of God means I'm not doing this in my strength. I'm doing this in his strength. And his strength is abundant. His grace is abundant for me in this moment. That, that, that can be preaching. That could be, that could be doing whatever God's called you to do. And it, it doesn't always look super spiritual when you're doing it. Like fishing didn't look super spiritual when Jesus was doing it. But it had spiritual results, right? I mean, that, that, we wouldn't say that the greatest ministry is fishing. And yet when he stepped into a boat and told the disciples what to do, they obeyed and they were fishing by the grace of God, if that makes sense. They went about what they were doing, listening to the voice of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. Now, I'm not saying that every time that you get out in a boat, you you say, God, all right, I want you to draw all the pickerel to my boat, and I'm going to drain this lake. But whatever you're doing, I should try that. Uh, Whatever you're doing, do it in the power of God. And this is very important that we understand the will of God. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, and, and there's a lot of folks that might say that the will of God is unknowable. It's, it's un- you can't grasp it. You can't know what the will of God is. You just find out. But I would say to you, if that's the way you live, then you either have to know the will of God by his word and by his voice and by his spirit, or you discern the will of God by circumstance. And I got to tell you, circumstance is a terrible way to figure out the will of God. Because if Paul had said, well, if things are going well, then it must be God's will. And if there's opposition, it's not God's will. Then he wouldn't have done anything. There were times where he said, and I've quoted this to you so many times, and you've read it yourself, where he said, a wide door for effective service is open for me, and there are many adversaries. So there's a lot of people, if you can't, if you can't discern the voice of God, and you're just going by how things look, then... A place where there's a lot of adversaries doesn't look like an open door. It looks like a closed door, right? These these people are against me. They don't want to hear what I have to say. This door must be closed. How does he know the door is open? He knows the door is open because God said there's an open door. So that's, we, we discern the will of God by the word of God, the voice of God, the spirit of God. They're all one. They all confirm each other. They all go together. So here's what he says, and, and we're going to start In verse 9, he says, For this reason also, since the day we've heard of it, we've not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now that is a, a huge verse. That's a huge statement. Stop for a minute and listen to what he has to say. Uh, First of all, think about what it might look like for you to be full of the knowledge of his will. I pay attention when the Bible uses the word full. Like when Jesus says, uh, do this so that your joy may be full. I pay attention to that because then it implies to me that if there's a way for my joy to be full, then there's also a way for my joy to be half full or empty or, you know, there's a way for my joy not to be full. If he says, do this so that your joy will be full, then that means if I don't do that, uh, maybe my joy won't be full. I want, I want fullness of joy. Well, here he talks about being full of the knowledge of his will. I just want you to think about what that might look like. 
Because a lot of us, when we think about knowing the will of God, it's situation to situation. That's how we talk about the will of God. We're talking about, uh, um, you know, this instance, this decision I have to make, this choice I've got to make, this job I've got to choose, whether I'm supposed to take it or not. We're discerning the will of God based on a case-by-case basis. But, and, and while there's, you should do that. You should seek the will of God in where you're going to work, where you're going to live, you know, those, who you're going to marry, things like that. Yes, everything in your life, you should seek the will of God. But I wonder what it might mean to be full of the knowledge of his will. I think that looks a bit like, or a lot like, how Jesus walked around. Not that he completely, you know, is thinking two years in advance all the time. But I believe that to be full of the knowledge of his will, it's more than just a, what should I do in this situation? To be full of the knowledge of his will is not just the what, it's the why. It's more than just, you should move to Edmonton or you should drive to Saskatoon. To be full of the knowledge of his will, I think, ties you into the heart of God. It ties you into what is his will in every circumstance. Beyond just a, where should I live and what job should I take, it, it can be things like, you know, you are full of the love of God. You're full of the joy of the Holy Spirit. And the decisions you make, even before you know the right move, you know what God's will is. You know what God's heart is in this situation. So let me give you an example. When Jesus saw people that were blind and lame, he didn't have to individually seek God's will whether he should heal them or not. Did he? Did he walk away? Every time he saw a blind person go, let me just check on this. God? No, he knew what he was supposed to do, right? Because he does, he's, not just, he's not just saying, Lord, in everything, I want you to tell me what to do. He certainly sought the will of God in many circumstances, in every circumstance. But he also, he had that heart. He knew what God's heart was. He knew. He was full of the knowledge of the will of the Father. So he's able to say, I don't do anything. So listen, if he says, I don't do anything unless God tells me to do it, the Father tells me to do it, do you think he's just going through life going, got to pray, guys. Okay, should we go to the bathroom now? Oh, let me pray about it. Okay, should, should I feed my disciples? Do you think he's stopping for a prayer break every three seconds? Or do you think he's walking in relationship with the Father so that he feels compassion when the Father feels compassion? He feels righteous indignation and zeal when the father would have righteous indignation and zeal. For instance, in the temple, when people are abusing the temple, Jesus says, the zeal for your house has consumed me. See, he is, he's not just getting ticked off. He's fellowshipping with the father so much so that he is full of the will of God. He is full of the knowledge of his will. And the result of being full of the knowledge of his will is that you'll walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Worthiness is something we talk about and think about a lot. A lot of our songs that you might hear when you hear the, the question about worthiness, it's usually either saying that God is worthy or it's saying that we're not. Right? I'm not worthy, still you love me, that kind of thing. And there, there is something valuable to say, I was not worthy of his love. I was not worthy of his grace, yet he gave it. And yet we have to understand that in Christ, I've been made worthy. 
See, I, I, we've got to at some point cross over and live on this side of the cross or else we're just stuck in uh, step one, st- still trying to believe that he did something for us yeah. or making him have to do it over and over again. The scripture says Jesus does not have to die over again for us. So if he's already died once, then let's get on the right side of the cross and believe that. Mm-hmm. Step over and it's, it's good for us to realize that we came from, we came to the gospel as beggars but we're now we're seated at the table as his kids. You gotta come to that place. Do you know what I'm saying? It's good for you to understand you're not at the table because of something you did. But you have to embrace the place at the table or else how's God gonna trust you with his business? Right? The kingdom of God is a family business. It's, it's Jehovah and sons and daughters. Right? He put us on the planet so he could have sons and daughters carrying out his will. If we are constantly doubting our position as sons and daughters, we won't get anything done. You can't leave a manager, you can't leave a manager in charge of the night shift who has to call you for every decision. Yet at some point he's got to believe you've gave you've given him the tools or her the tools to get the job done, and you can't have him say, But I'm not worthy to be manager, so I called you to see whether we should put the fries in the fryer. Look, I made you the manager. Can you get over how it happened and just believe that you are the manager and start acting like you're the manager? Well, what about the brooms, though? Do we put them in the... Stop calling me. I left you there for a reason. Now, I'm not saying stop calling God. Don't stop talking. But, but all right, let's, let's get over the fact that we weren't worthy. Yes, absolutely. I did not earn my place here. But he did, right? He paid for me to be here. So now I've got to believe that and I've got to act like that. And so when we talk about living in a manner worthy of the Lord, it doesn't mean that your work is earning his favor, but it means we're living in a manner, like, like we said, uh, uh, I believe I said this last week, uh, when you have a special guest over to your house and you have them and you, you, you're going to invite this person who's very important to your house. Now we believe everybody's important, but like, let's just imagine, let's be honest. You decorate different if the, if, you know, the, the prime minister's coming over than, you know, if your buddy Jack's coming over. There's a different way you decorate. There's a different way you clean up. And when you are setting the table, you're setting the table in a manner worthy of the guest that's coming. Doesn't mean you earned the visit. But it means that the way you're setting the table is reflecting how great they are. When I am living in a manner worthy of the Lord, my life is reflecting the greatness of our God. And he says the only way to do that is for you to be full of the knowledge of his will. So it's, it's God's will that you are full of the knowledge of his will. How does 1 Corinthians 2 tell us that's going to happen? Because 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that, that you couldn't even dream of God's will. You couldn't, like, imagine it. It, it couldn't have ever entered your heart. You couldn't think for, uh, you know, you couldn't spend three years on top of a mountain thinking it up. There's nothing you could do to come up with God's will except that his spirit knows his will and his spirit reveals his will. And that's the spirit we've received. So the only way to know the will of God is by the spirit of God. And that... That's great because that's the spirit we've been given. And here he says that when you're full of the knowledge of his will, you will walk or you'll live in a manner. The way you live reflects the glory of God. Worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. 
Now, this is how we know we're doing it by the power of God. Because not one of us could please God in our own strength. The Bible says without faith, it's what? Impossible, Impossible to please God. Why do you need faith? If you, were, if you had the ability to please God in your own strength, you would not need faith. There would be no faith necessary. There would just be hard work. But we need faith because what does faith do? Faith grabs onto grace, right? So what, what God's doing, what his power, his strength, his ability, his anointing, that's his grace working through us. That's his grace towards us. And how do we walk in grace? We walk by faith. That's how I got saved by grace, through faith, right? That's how I preach, by, preach in grace is by, by having faith that God's going to give me the words to say and he's going to speak through me tonight. So I have, if I'm going to please God, it's got to be by faith. I've got to believe that God is at work in me, both to will and to do what he wants to do. That's what Philippians says, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is wanting, God is, is able to do something through you that pleases him all the time. He's, he's able to cause you to live a life that pleases him. And it says you will bear fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's so big that it, you just kind of have to stop and read it five times. And even then it seems so big, right? Like he's saying if, when you become full of the knowledge of his will. Now I just don't believe that Paul's praying, you know, fantasy unicorn prayers that never are going to come true. Or else it, it would be kind of misleading for, him to, for that to be in the Bible, right? If he's just praying nice prayers like, you know what, guys? I just pray that you learn how to float on rainbows. I, I just pray that you learn how to jump off mountains and fly to the next mountain. Then we go like, Paul, is that possible? Or what are you praying? When he's praying something, you see, I believe that all scripture is God-breathed. So I believe these prayers are God-breathed. Paul didn't come up and say, what would be a good prayer? God's, God's speaking this. God is ministering this. God put this prayer in Paul's mouth. And when he writes it, this is God's will for you, that you'd be full of the knowledge of his will. And the result of that is that you will walk, you will live in a manner that is worthy of a great king. That is so cool. Your life is going to be worthy of God. Like even the, even the stuff that doesn't seem super spiritual. Even the way you drive to Winnipeg is a matter worthy of God. Pleasing him in all respects. That's big because that means that there's different angles and different ways that we please God. And in all respects, when you are full of the knowledge of his will, how do I become full of his knowledge of his will? Obviously, he ties it with what they've been taught. They've been taught the word. So when you act on the word, you're acting by faith, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when I hear the word and I act on it, I'm saying, God, if you said it, I'm going to trust that you can do it through me. So God, if you said love your neighbor as yourself, then Lord, I know that when I make the decision to love my neighbor, you are going to love through me. Right. I'm not going to try my best to love because that, that doesn't work. I'm going I'm to trust you that because you said it, there's power in your word. And when I act by faith, there's grace there. I'm, I'm walking in the, I am loving by the spirit of God. I'm loving in the power of God. You'll please him in all respects. You'll bear fruit in every good work. 
and you will increase in the knowledge of God. You know, the, um, there's something that's used a lot in this letter. There's a Greek word gnosis, which means to know, knowledge, right? But then there's a, 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 a little prefix that's put on that word, epi, epignosis. Epi, that word means, uh, when you say gnosis, you mean knowledge. But when you say epignosis, you mean the real knowledge, the true knowledge. And it's important because the Colossians at this time, one of the major things that they're dealing with in their church is a group called the Gnostics. So the word Gnostic comes from the word Gnosis. They claim to know stuff. They are the deep thinkers. They are the people that have secret knowledge that you guys don't have. They believe some weird things. They believed, you know, there was this division between flesh and spirit. So, hey, I didn't sin. My flesh did that, but my spirit's always holy. It's my flesh is helplessly bad. So, you know, all those things I did over there, that was my body. My spirit has, has remained above the fray. They, they had this dualism that they separated. They, they believed things about Jesus not fully dying in the flesh or fully being resurrected. There, there were all these things, but one of the main heresies that they preached and, and believed was that, that, you know, you kind of had to join their club and get under their teaching to find the true secret knowledge. And that's why we're going to hear about this in, in future weeks, but that's why Paul later says, do you know all the hidden secrets of wisdom, all the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ? He's telling them, you don't need a little a special guru. You don't need a special teacher. Everything you're looking for is in Christ. In fact, that phrase, in Christ, is going to pop up a lot. Because so often, it's easy for us to turn our eyes to a person to save us, to help us, to build us, to, to empower us. And what, what a, a minister of the gospel is meant to do, a minister of the gospel is meant to bring you back to looking to Jesus, not looking to them. And while we believe we'll be used by God, you're going to be used by God. We are ministers. What, the word minister is, is kind of the word for waiter. That's really what it means. When you look in the, in the scripture, the word minister is a word that they would use for somebody that would go get something and bring it to you. Your waiter is ministering to you. They didn't make the food. They went and got the food. They brought it to you. That's what a minister of the gospel is. As somebody that just, I didn't make the food. <laughs> I didn't come up with this. Here it is. But if the compliments are going to anyone, it's going to the chef, Right? Bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. When we talk about the true knowledge of God, when you think of increasing in knowledge, I think most of us think of studying, right? Study a bit more, you'll grow in knowledge. The Bible really encourages studying. It's not a bad thing. It's actually a very good thing, right? Study to show yourself approved. But the kind of knowledge that's encouraged, increasing in the knowledge of God, I don't believe that's just reading 10 more books, Believe what that is, is the same way you increase in the knowledge of somebody that you are getting to know. You're not reading another book about them. You're spending some time with them. You're walking through life with them. You are knowing them. I know my wife, not because I read all her Instagram posts. I know my wife because I've spent time with my wife. My brother-in-law is a surgeon. 
He knows more about how my wife's body works as far as the blood and the muscles and the nerves and all of that just because she's a human being and he studied human anatomy. He may know more about her organs than I know, but I know her better. Because while a doctor knows the facts about her, I know her character. I know what she likes. I know what she doesn't like. I know what she likes to eat. I know what she hates to eat. So I make those things when she's gone, right? You know? (laughs) Increasing in the knowledge of God really only comes through walking with the Lord. Listening to his voice. Yes, studying his word, absolutely. But when we study his word, how do we study his word? Do we study his word thinking if I, if I can get all the answers down, I'll have the answer for the next argument? Or do we study his word believing that it's alive? That God is speaking to me through his word. When we increase in the knowledge of him, he says this, not only increasing in the knowledge of God, but strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us. Wow. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share the inheritance in the saints in light. That's a big thing. It's God that qualified me. It's God that qualified you to share in his inheritance. So all of this is about learning how to walk that out. I want to talk about pleasing him just for a moment. Um, Because I'm just thinking about this this statement about when we're filled with the knowledge of him, we'll please him in all respects. That's something that's got to come through relationship. We said it last week, but when Jesus healed blind people, and I said it even tonight, when Jesus healed blind people, he's doing it because it's the Father's heart to heal the blind. Now you can say, yeah, wasn't he, but wasn't he trying to prove that he was powerful and he was the Messiah? And like I said last week, if that were only the criteria, if if the only criteria was that he had to prove he was powerful, he could have done a whole lot of things. But every miracle and sign that he did helped people. Every miracle and sign he did was redemptive. It was bringing us back to the, the way things were created to be, which is the heart of the Father. See, if all he did was just show you some tricks so you knew he was powerful, you knew he was the son of God, then the scripture wouldn't say things like Jesus being moved with compassion healed them. Because compassion wouldn't have played a part in it. It would have said Jesus, wanting to show them he was the son of God, healed them. But it doesn't. It says Jesus moved with compassion. Literally, in the Greek, it means he was moved in his bowels and in his intestines. In the, the, the Greeks believed that the, the bowels, the intestines, were the, the core of feeling, the core, like, the, where you felt things the most. If you believed something there, if you felt something there, that was your deepest emotion. So it says Jesus moved in that place. And we believe he felt that because that's what the Father felt. Because I don't think Jesus had access to different compassion. You see, sometimes we believe that God is remote and distant and he's so holy he doesn't need emotion. But our emotion is created in the image of God. Right? Just because we've messed it up. Just because we live in a broken world where the enemy has twisted our emotions doesn't mean the emotions didn't come from God to start with. 
You know, the Bible talks about God being, being uh, rejoicing, God laughing. It talks about God being angry. Or it talks about God having great compassion. It, I mean, God has emotion. It's just not unpredictable, fly-off-the-handle emotion. It's holy emotion. It's righteous emotion. So when Jesus feels something, he doesn't feel it because he's human, and now he feels what we feel. I believe he feels it because that's what the Father feels for you. I believe that's God-given. I want to read you something from John, chapter 8. I'm going to read you something from John, then I'm going to read you something from 1 John. He said, um, in verse 28, Jesus said, when you lift up the Son of Man, in other words, when you crucify me, then you'll know that I am, it says in my translation, I am he, but he literally says, then you will know that I am. Wow. Didn't seem to, to, to happen to too many people, right? When he was crucified, most of the people thought that was the proof he wasn't who he said he was. But there was something in the act on that cross that proved he was, I am. Not just Jesus the man, but the God who's existed before creation. The one that everything was created through, the I am that I am, the ancient of days. He says, in that moment, you'll know who I am. You'll know that I am. And I do nothing on my own initiative. But I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Listen to that. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Now, I think there's something about the way that's translated that makes it sound like God would leave Jesus the first instant he did something that didn't please him. You know what I mean? Like, the only reason the Father sticks with me is because I'm pleasing him. But if I, if I made a mistake, he'd be out the door. But I think that's actually a twisting of what he's saying. Give me some, give me some slack here to say this. I believe he's saying, the Father is always with me, and the proof is, because he's always with me, I always do the things that are pleasing in his sight. That's how you know he's always with me, because I'm doing the things that are pleasing in his sight. The reason I'm doing these things that are pleasing in his sight is a result of him being with me all the time, rather than the other way around, right? You know, uh, let me give you an example. Jesus said, uh, after the famous, not my will, but yours be done, prayer in the garden, where he surrendered his will to God, he actually said, um, if I were to call down, he said, I could ask my father. Here's what he said. I could ask my father, and he would send legions of angels to rescue me. Now, clearly the will of the father is that Jesus go to the cross, yeah? Right? But he says, if I asked him, he could get me out of this. That's a tricky situation, right? Because he's basically saying, if I decided not to do this, I could ask God and he'd still send those angels. He didn't say, if I were to ask my father to send angels, he'd say, no dice, Jesus. You agree to this. You sign the documents. You're going to the cross. He said, if I asked him, he'd do it. So 
there's something to be said about the fact that he had such confidence in his relationship with God that he, he didn't believe that it was on shaky ground. He didn't believe that God was just going to, you know, the father was going to leave him if he made one mistake. Now, of course, he didn't make any mistakes. But he says, I'm, the father has always been with me. Everything I do is because he wants me to do it. And then he says, I do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Well, How? How do you always do the things that are pleasing to God? Because he's full of the knowledge of God's will. See, he is so, before he even literally was crucified, he had crucified his will, right? The, everything he's doing, he's saying, I'm doing it because the Father wants me to do this. I am, I am a living channel of the will of God. I am, I am a living, breathing example of somebody that is fully surrendered to God's will. That's what he's saying. And so when, when he does these things, he says, I know that I'm always pleasing to him because he's the one that gave me the idea. I, 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 I'm walking with him. He's never left me. He's always with me. So I know I'm doing the things that are pleasing in his sight. Now you can go and you can walk out of here and believe that that's just something Jesus could say because he was the son of God. Or you could believe that that's an example he set for us. That we would do the things that are pleasing in God's sight because he wants to fill you with the knowledge of his will. He wants to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Obviously, how does that happen? I think that happens through walking with him. I think that happens by letting his word, as he said later, he said, if my word abides in you, if my word abides in you, then you'll abide in me and my love will be made perfect in you. My joy will be full in you. So there's something about his word living in us that causes us to walk according to his will. Obviously, it's something we should pray, right? Because Paul said, I'm praying that this happens, right? So pray, Ask God, say, Lord, fill me with the knowledge of your will. I think we've got to move past just going case by case, what's your will, God? And I think he wants to move us to the place where we are not just saying, what's your will in this circumstance, even though we still should say that. I think he wants to move us to the place where we are so close walking with him that we're walking according to the will of God beyond just this decision and this decision Everything we do in life is out of that place where what, what does God want me to do? And I know what he wants me to do because his word is in me. I know what he wants me to do because his spirit is in me. I know what he wants me to do because I am walking with him. I know his heart. And so his heart is in, my, is in me. I, I have the same heart. How did Peter and John know they were supposed to heal that guy at the temple? Do you think they went and had a prayer meeting and came back? We prayed about this, dude. I think we're supposed to pray for you. We don't have any money, but we spent some time praying and God says we should heal you. They didn't have time to ask those questions. How do they know? Because they've walked with Jesus. They knew what Jesus would have done. They saw what Jesus would have done. If they didn't know by watching, they knew by listening because Jesus said, the things that I do, you're gonna do. Then he told them later, straight up, these signs will follow those that believe. Lay hands on the sick, they will recover. So Peter and John say, the reason this guy, guy got healed was because of the name of Jesus. And we often think that means because they said the name of Jesus. And while that's powerful, I believe even more powerful is the fact that they did it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus is more than just using in the name of Jesus as your magic word. 
our magic phrase. Doing something in the name of Jesus, praying in the name of Jesus means I'm praying and walking according to his will. I'm doing what he would do. That's why I'm saying I'm doing it in his name. That's why in the book of Acts, the first few miracles you see, you see them say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. But later on, you see Paul heal a guy at Lystra, and he just says, stand up. He doesn't say, stand up in the name of Jesus. He just says, stand up. And yet, that man was healed in the name of Jesus. We should live in the name of Jesus. First John says this. This is the last thing we're going to read tonight. <laughs> I mean, unless the Lord leads us a different direction. But in First John chapter 3. Now, he's just finished talking about God being greater than our heart, which is huge. He says there's going to be times where even your heart tells you that you're, you're not worth this and your heart tells you you're not right with God, but he says God's greater than our heart. Our God, God has the right to overrule your heart. And if God says you're as he is in this world, so are you, then you are. So he says we're going to even assure our own hearts. There's times where even our own heart says how can you, how can you say you're righteous and you'll say because God the great judge says I am. He says, we'll assure our heart. And then he says this, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So what are the two major things you need to do? I mean, sometimes we, we, we really overcomplicate that part of the verse that says we keep his commandments and we think of the million things we didn't do. But he wants to clarify for you. He says, what are the commandments I'm talking about? Believe and love. Then he says this, love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he, give, he has given us. Go back to that. He says, whatever we ask, we receive. Whatever we ask, we receive. Because we keep his commandments and we do the things that are pleasing in his sight. Well, how in the world do you know you're doing the things that are pleasing in his sight? Because you're full of the knowledge of his will. Because you're walking with him. You're abiding in him. He's abiding in you. You're living in the light. I, I can tell you with all confidence that not everything I've ever done has been pleasing to God. But I can tell you with even more confidence that I do the things that are pleasing in his sight and that you do the things that are pleasing in his sight. When we learn to walk by faith and say, Lord, fill me with the knowledge of your will beyond just what job should I take, beyond just where should I live, and more to the point of, if in every breath I take, Lord, I want to I carry out your will. I want to be full of the knowledge of your heart. I want to know what you want. I want to seek your kingdom and your righteousness. I want your will to be done, your kingdom to come right here in Lloyd, right here in my house as it is in heaven. God wants to fill you with that. God wants you to be so confident in who he is that when you act, you know you're acting in the will of God. He goes on to say in chapter 5 of the same book, he says, when we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we have whatever we've asked.
seems like a big statement that I would know going into a prayer that I'm asking for something according to his will. So many of us struggle with that. Lord, am I asking this because I want it or am I asking this because you want it? But I believe what God wants for you is to draw you closer and closer so that you're full of the knowledge of his will. It's interesting because honestly, I think about the people I know best in this life, the people that are closest to me. And in most cases, I could tell you what their will is. Not every case, but in most cases, cause just because I've been around them. You know, I, most of the time, like I use my wife again. Most of the time, I can tell if my wife will like something or she'll dislike something. I can tell what she'll, I could tell what, what kind of books she'd like to read. I could tell what kind of food she'd like to eat. I know what her will is in most circumstances. I know if you said that to my wife, that may go a certain way or she may take it that way. I know because I spent time with her. I know that just by being around her, but I'm not full of her spirit. Do you know what I mean? I, I, have, I, should have, I have greater access to the heart of God than I have access to the heart of my own wife. In fact, I have more of an ability to know the heart of God than to know my own heart, if that makes any sense. Because sometimes, you know, the Bible says our hearts are deceitful at times. We don't even know. We're trying to figure out what we, what we believe, what we know, how we feel about something. Whereas God is actively revealing himself to you. He has empowered you to know his heart. So we've kind of created this distant God where we can never quite know. We treat him like a Greek God that might be mad at us one minute and love us the next. And yet he's pretty much told you, I want to show you who I am. I want you to be, I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling Paul that he, to pray this over you because this is what I want for you. I want you to be full of the knowledge of my will. I want you to walk through life going, I don't know everything. And I, I may not know what's going to happen next year. I, I may not know where I'm going to live in five years. But I know his heart. And I know as I'm walking through life that I'm doing what God would want me to do because that's how close we are because his spirit lives in me. And the more I learn to live by the spirit of God, I know that I'm doing the things that are pleasing to him. That shouldn't have to be the struggle we've made it. I'm not saying there's not tension at times. I'm not saying there's not times where honestly, I'm gonna put my hand up. There are times where I go, Lord, I really, I really need you to be clear because I don't know the right thing to do here. But more and more, as we grow in the knowledge of him, he's filling us. And I think that's the point that I wanna go back to as we close that he said, it's something that I pray over you that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will, listen to this, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. God wants to give you spirit, uh, spiritual wisdom and understanding because sometimes your brain tries to process what God has in store for you and it just trips a breaker. <laughs> or your will gets in the way. But there's a spiritual wisdom and understanding he wants to give you. So you'll just not know his will. You'll understand it. And I believe that if he is praying, he says, I'm going to ask that you may be filled. Then I believe that's not something you can fill yourself with. That's something that God wants to fill you with. Fill you with.
fill you with. Not give you little droplets, but fill you with. Can you grab onto that tonight? That he wants to fill you with something. And you know, listen, I believe this. As practical as this is, I believe if you're going to be full of something, being full of something pushes a lot of other things out. I can't be full of the knowledge of his will and be obsessed with what other people think. Can I? Fear of God is a blessing, but the fear of man is a snare, right? Fear of God is a way to life. Fear of man is a snare. If you spend your life worried about what other people are thinking about you, worrying about whether you're pleasing them or not, you won't be pleasing to God. If you want to be full of the knowledge of his will, spend time, spend more time seeking him than you do seeking all these other things. God wants to break some addictions here tonight. He wants to break some addictions in our lives. He wants to break some addictions that you think, I don't have any addictions. I had addictions before I got saved. I've been set free from addictions, and yet we can't sit still for five minutes without doing something to entertain ourselves. That's an addiction. God wants you free from that. You sit here and feel guilty about it, or you can say, hey, I've, I've been a slave and I can be free. Thank God. That's good news. That's not bad news. That's good news. You can be free from the addiction to Netflix. Hallelujah. You can be free from addiction to your belly that tells you you got to eat whenever you feel like eating and you got to eat whatever it tells you to eat. You could even fast for a week. You could be okay. God wants to break some of these things that have been holding us. There are even things that aren't necessarily bad, but if they own you, they're bad. And he wants to set you free so you can be so full of him. He wants you so free and so full. And I just, I want to be so full of him that all that other stuff that's been taken up space gets pushed out by the weight of his goodness, the weight of his love, the weight of who he is, that I, I, I become obsessed with the one thing that's worthy of being my obsessed with, the one thing that's worthy of obsession, which is him and his kingdom and his righteousness. So let's pray tonight. And I mean that, not just like, you know, sometimes our Wednesday night prayers, because Sunday we, we, you know, we might have you come up and pray for you. A lot of times Wednesday night we close in prayer. And Christians, you know, unsaved people, they take it seriously every time you pray. But Christians, we pray so much that when we close in prayer, that's our religious prayer. We barely pay attention. We start our car. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm. We do that so the preacher knows we're not totally checked out. <laughs> Sometimes I think we should just pray without telling people we're closing. Because closing in prayer becomes this weird religious thing that we just feel like it's a punctuation mark. It should be powerful. So can we stand and pray together and believe that God's going to do something when we pray?